If you enjoy studying the Bible, but have grown frustrated looking for solid content you can trust, welcome to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study each day, five days a week. Every Monday, the team at Get Fed Today posts five hand-selected sermons from a vast catalog of reliable Bible teachers for you to enjoy on your commute, to and from work, during your daily walk or run, or that hour you spend working out. Please note, Get Fed Today only posts content that is already available for free on the internet. Nothing about this ministry is monetized, and a few costs associated with hosting the podcast have been covered by a single benefactor. In fact, Get Fed Today is a volunteer ministry run by a team of Christ followers who love God's Word, enjoy good Bible teaching, and genuinely want to make it as easy as possible for their fellow brothers and sisters to get fed today. All you have to do is subscribe. For quick links to the podcast available on Apple, Google, and Spotify, simply visit GetFedToday.com. And again, that's GetFedToday.com. I think my heart has been directed to a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So let's stand once again and we'll read it and then we'll study it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes, and he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. And therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will uh, both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Father, we thank you for what you have already sown into our lives today. We thank you for the chance to worship you the way that we have And you know that apart from you, we can't do anything. You know how desperately we need to hear your voice and this calling of yours upon our life. And and I pray and we pray that you would add the witness of your voice to all that we study this evening. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In this section of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has been instructing the church at Corinth concerning the importance of Christian service and how that each of us as Christians has been called by God, we've been gifted by God in some way to be involved in either the expansion of uh, the kingdom of God or the edification of the kingdom of God or both. And that one day as Christians, each of us are going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, the, the bema seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account for our faithfulness to God's calling upon our lives, where he tells us our service is going to be tested by fire and rewarded. And in these first five verses of chapter 4, we have one of the great autobiographical statements of Paul, Uh, found in the entire uh, New Testament, in which he gives us what I think is a priceless insight 
into his own ministry life and the ministry perspective that he maintained in his own life out of a desire to one day hear himself, which was the same desire as we have, to hear that well done uh, from the Lord concerning his own Christian service. It is uh, passages like this that give us a glimpse into what made the Apostle Paul uh, tick and at what went on in his heart and in his mind to keep him faithful through the kind of hardship that he faced in uh, the uniqueness of, of his calling. What is it that causes a man to sing praises to God after being uh, unjustly arrested, uh, savagely beaten, and then chained in the bowels of a Philippian jail. What causes a man to rise to his feet after being stoned and then dragged out of a city and left for dead, and then to stand up from that condition, dust himself off, and then wonder of wonders to walk right back into that same city as Paul did in the city of of Lystra. There was a man behind those events. Uh, There was a perspective behind those events. There was a a way of viewing things behind uh, those responses to what it was that that he was facing. And uh, uh, Paul gives us a glimpse at what it was that was in kind of the deep streams of his life here. And encapsulating, he himself did, his Christian service, Paul wrote. And I'm going to read a very familiar passage to you, one that um, there is this, uh, the curse of familiarity related to the Bible. Having uh, taught so much of it ourselves, read it so many times, there are passages in the Bible uh, that I wish I could read for the first time every time I read them. And this is one of those passages. And Paul writes, and he says, Are they Hebrews? He said, So am I. And are they Israelites? So am I. And uh, are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. A day and a night I spend in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my countrymen, as we heard earlier today, in perils of the Gentiles, as we heard earlier today, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my concern for all of the churches. And when you read a list like that and you stop and and try to give it some kind of uh, consideration, uh, you ask yourself, what keeps a man faithful uh, through all of that? Uh, Again, they're not merely words upon a page. This was a man who lived through all of that and and more. And... uh, 
Uh, If we can understand and unpack what Paul says to us in these five verses, it's like he kind of gets a session uh, at, at the conference here. During his second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul came to the city of Corinth, as you know, and he established a church there. And it was not an easy thing uh, to do. Corinth was a tough uh, nut to crack, and God cracked it uh, by his grace through the Apostle Paul. And a church was established there. And the Apostle Paul invested more time in the city of Corinth than any other place that he planted a church, second uh, only to uh, Ephesus. The Apostle Paul invested a year and a half of a relatively short life and a very, very precious life in establishing that church there in, in Corinth. And there he labored day and night and a great personal expense to himself that they might hear the gospel themselves, that they might know fully what is theirs as a result of, of becoming uh, Christians. And yet, for all that he, uh, though he had birthed the church there in Corinth, and though he had served them so sacrificially, overall the Apostle Paul was underappreciated there. Uh, indeed, he was unappreciated by the believers as a whole in the church at, at Corinth. And though he was loved by many there, no doubt many others were a source of constant grief to him. And when he writes his letters to the church at Corinth, there's none of kind of the relaxed, open affection that we see in his letter to the church at at Philippi. In both of his epistles to the Corinthians, he's forced to constantly defend himself from the beginning of the first to the end of the second. As he begins that, uh, the, the opening line in 1 Corinthians, he's forced to defend his apostleship. And then at the end of 2 Corinthians, I think in one of the saddest and most pathetic uh, passages in all of the Bible, he declares to this church, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. And it seems as if they never did appreciate his gifting or his service. I think that today, for us, for the most part, it's hard for us to believe that the Apostle Paul could have been uh, unappreciated anywhere uh, among, uh, among a body of believers. But it happened in Corinth. And it didn't just happen in Corinth. At the end of his life, he stood virtually alone, except for the Lord, as he records it in second, writes in Second Timothy chapter four. And my first answer, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Uh, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. While in the city of Corinth, Paul was serving the Lord in a situation in which he was unappreciated. And that's what I want to talk about this evening, serving the Lord in uh, environments and situations where our service is unappreciated, serving the Lord in thankless environments. I want you to notice in verse 3 that at Corinth, rather than appreciating Paul, they constantly judged him. And uh, what was the form of this judgment? The word judge there in the original language... It means to examine. It means to scrutinize. 
And they scrutinized and examined Paul, not for the, the finding of good in him, but uh, to find fault. They were looking for a reason to condemn him. In other words, they, they were critical of him. And the idea wasn't that they watched his life and, and his teaching and, and then having fairly observed and, and tested it, they came to a judgment concerning him. That's fair related to all of us. That's, that's a necessity. We expect that. Uh, of people. But what it means here is that their constant attitude toward him was judgmental. Instead of seeing all of the good things that he was doing, they were consistently putting him on trial uh, in their own hearts. They were looking for uh, some fault in his life. And so, as the old saying goes, after every Sunday morning, uh, they would head home and feast upon roast preacher for uh, lunch. So a lot of people in Corinth didn't like him because they simply didn't want to uh, like him. In First and Second Corinthians, Paul himself reveals some of the reasons why they were judging him. Uh, some of them didn't like his teaching. Uh, for them, it was too simple. Uh, and, uh, and it lacked these kind of great displays of intellect and, and uh, human wisdom that they were accustomed to. And you remember Paul himself. He spoke about how he came uh, to that city. And he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, uh, did not come with the excellence of speech or of wisdom, uh, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with the persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There were others in the city of Corinth who didn't like his non-flashy style, uh, his lack of oratory uh, skills that were so admired there in Corinth. He speaks to this issue as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, the, and he brings out in the open the accusation that he knew was being pub- circulated within the church. For, uh, he, he, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech uh, contemptible. And I think the same thing goes on very much today in a current uh, Corinthian ministry environment where you have... Uh, uh, pastors with a great gift to teach the Word of God, uh, to teach it with depth, to teach it with simplicity, uh, to teach it with clarity, and uh, being rejected for not being charismatic enough, flashy enough. What they didn't realize until later was that Paul possessed a tremendous intellect, and uh, he possessed uh, plenty of personal uh, charisma, But he refused to use either of those things in Corinth in order that their faith might be based upon the wisdom of God's word and the power of God. Uh, Some of them, I am very tempted to head off on that at the moment, but I'm being sensitive to time. That is the environment that we live in currently. And uh, great demands being placed upon us as pastors to be something Uh, in this current ministry environment. And if we become that, it is what people want, but it is the very last thing that they need. 
And Paul understood it about that city and that age, and we need to understand it as well. Some of them didn't like the fact that he wouldn't let them uh, grow comfortable in their sin and in their carnality, uh, with being a carnal Christian or a Christian that's dominated by the flesh. You've probably heard the old story, probably even told it yourself. That's what happens when these conferences go on for so many years. <laughs> About this young pastor that was uh, hired at a church, and he got up and he preached a sermon, and it was just dynamite. It went like gangbusters. Everybody was thrilled. Wow, this is our pastor. How fortunate are we? And the next Sunday, he got up and he preached the same sermon again. Well, that's odd. You know, I mean, it's a, not a usual kind of thing, but it was a good sermon. Worth hearing a second time. And the third week, he got up and he preached the sermon again. Now they're upset. The deacon board's really upset. And they pulled him aside and began to, you know, uh, call him on the carpet related to it. And he said, I'll go on to a new sermon when this one is obeyed. And there's a little bit of Paul in all of that. Um, We might never get out of certain books of the Bible (laughs) in our own study. (laughs) I don't recommend it, but there is something of Paul in it. Others just didn't like Paul. And no matter what he did, they just were not going to like him. And they didn't want to like him. They didn't want him as the pastor there. And they wanted someone else to lead the church, maybe the eloquent uh, preacher Apollos, maybe the great exhorter uh, Peter. And instead they got this methodical teacher who would not let them think they were spiritual based upon how much they knew about the Word of God as opposed to how much they knew and also lived. And I would like us just to look at seven things. I know that scares people at this point in the sermon, so they will be brief things. Uh, Seven things that Paul reveals in this text uh, that uh, as having helped him maintain perspective and remaining faithful in a thankless or a critical uh, setting of Corinth. You notice in verse 3, first of all, Uh, that he declared that he considered it a very small thing that he should be judged by others. Literally, that phrase, a very small thing, it means the very smallest thing. And essentially, uh, Paul uh, declared that their opinion of him amounted to nothing. And in saying this, uh, uh, don't stop listening at that point. Run with that. He's not being arrogant at all, but he he is merely stating the truth that no one's personal opinion of him mattered at all in comparison to what God's opinion was of him. And he did not let those with a judgmental, critical spirit get him down. He did not give it undue importance or let it dominate him. And what people with a critical spirit think should be kept a small thing in our hearts and in our minds. He didn't give the opinion of people undue weight. And the same is true of us. We must not let the unjust criticisms of others drive us out of where God has called us to serve him. I remember being in a pastor's conference many years ago now, Calvary Chapel Pastor's Conference, where uh, one of the pastors stated a statistic that said that the average pastor 
that resigns or leaves a church does so over seven people. So you can have 93 out of 100 who are thrilled to be in that church. 193 out of 200. 293 out of 300. You can do the math. They're absolutely thrilled with the church. But the power of seven people, uh, on average, to drive a pastor away from God's calling upon their lives in their place. That is the power of it. The aggravation caused by those seven will uh, get him to forget all about the 93. And God had called Paul uh, to Corinth. God had told him to stay there because he had a lot of people there. And that was what he had to do, no matter what others' opinion of him might be. And so Paul, in essence, says, As I know that I am pleasing him that sent me here, I am not greatly concerned if I displease you. And Paul didn't give judgmental opinions uh, of him undue weight, and it's important that we don't either. There's an old saying about pastors, it's true of of everyone that serves the Lord. And the the saying goes like this, qualifications of a pastor, uh, the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. And uh, I think that generally, uh, great emphasis is placed upon the first two of those things in terms of preparation for Christian ministry. The condition of our heart, the condition of our mind, and that's exactly as it should be. But it is a great mistake to neglect the importance of the third one at times, and the necessity of also possessing the height of a rhinoceros for longevity in Christian service. And for some of us, that doesn't come easy. We have to ask God to give that to us, situation by situation, so we're not driven out of the place that God has called us to. Second, in the latter section of verse 3 and 4, we notice that Paul even uh, refused even to judge himself. And this can be as dangerous and destructive as the other is, uh, giving undue weight to what we think about ourselves. And there are some of us in, in our, our calling that we are our own worst enemy. And, and we must learn not to judge ourselves or else, else we will produce so much discouragement within ourselves that the fruitfulness and the longevity of our service to the Lord will be threatened. Or, or an entire calling can be destroyed without any help at all from uh, anyone else. We can do it to ourselves. We're absolutely called to examine ourselves related to sin, related to holiness. Paul said even to these Corinthians, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But uh, what he's not talking about that here. Here Paul is talking about our own inability to come to an accurate opinion about the effectiveness of our ministries and of our service. And Paul is saying that even he doesn't have the ability to properly evaluate his own effectiveness. I can never say that was a great teaching because I don't know. Or to say that was a lousy teaching 
because as poorly done as it may seem, in some sermons, you know, some of them you're just like soaring, it's so effortless. And others you're just running through two feet thick mud. You just cannot wait for it to end. And if you can feign some sickness, you don't have to go to the back door and, and face the people after it. And yet it may have been just the right message for the moment. And God adds something to that message that people will never, ever forget. We have no idea uh, how powerful God is making a sermon or any area of our ministry in the heart of people. Often the, the, the same biblical vision and effort is expended in planting a church in two different cities. And in one city, uh, the multitudes are saved, and a church becomes very, very large numerically. And then in another city, the same vision is given, the same effort is given, the same faithfulness is invested in that place, and the fruit is comparatively uh, meager. And we're prone to judge it. And we're prone to analyze it. And then we're prone to do the most dangerous thing of all, and that is to personalize it. And consider that this is uh, somehow something uh, about me. That somehow I can come to a proper assessment about my calling on the basis of numbers. We've already heard it today. How much of the church would be in trouble if that was the mindset of leaders? And who can figure it out? Paul declares that he cannot figure it out. And so here Paul gives us... Uh, gives as little weight to his own natural opinions or judgments of himself as he did to the natural fleshly judgment made by others. It wasn't that he was arrogant. It wasn't that he was unteachable. But he recognized that he was uh, as capable of misjudging himself and his ministry uh, as fully as others might. There's a great danger for us to condemn our own selves right out of the ministry. Number three, notice in the latter part of verse 4 and 5 that Paul entrusted all judgment related to the mistreatment uh, he had experienced from others uh, to the Lord. And there are wounds in this calling. There's just no way around that. And, and he did so, as he says in verse 5, because only the Lord knows the full story. And so all of, the, all of the heart issues, all of the motives, or why we do what we do, it's all going to be brought out. Even the dark things are going to be brought out. All of the envy, all of the jealousy, all of the pride, all of the carnality, all of, uh, in the lives of all of those who were critical to Paul, it'll one day be completely exposed. That these were the reasons, and not the, the kind of noble reasons that come, people come up with, and, and they, they make them out to be. I remember as a new Christian, a couple of things that I heard that were helpful for me in, in this regard, and the Lord brings it to my remembrance. Again, there's nothing that, that you haven't heard. But I remember the very place and who said it the first time I heard uh, where somebody declared that if the devil can identify us as one of those people who has to run around and put out every fire that people start around us, then all our life will know is fires, and our entire ministry will be spent uh, putting them out. 
And then I remember another classic in this regard, and that is if you take care of your character, then God will take care of your reputation. And he certainly is faithful to do that. One day, everything is going to be revealed at that great beam of seat of Christ. Number four in verse one, Paul reminded himself that he was a servant and that he needed to be a servant where the Lord had placed him. The word that's used there for servant in the original language, it means under rower. So you, those ancient kind of ships that were on the Mediterranean, uh, the larger ones would have two rows of slaves on, on an upper deck. They would be chained to the deck and uh, with the oars in their hand. And then there was always another uh, set of rowers uh, underneath the deck, below deck, that were also chained. They had their oars in their hands. You remember uh, Ben-Hur, Charlton Heston. Uh, boy, he looked good in that movie, didn't he? Like, time is a cruel thing to, for all of us. You go back and watch those old movies. Man. But anyway. Uh, so there he is. He's on that slave ship, and a uh, uh, Roman slave ship. And he's on the upper deck. And there, there's fresh air and there's sunshine. I mean, it, it was no picnic at all. But as bad as it was, there was a place that was worse than that. There was a lower place, and that was to be an under rower, where everything about those circumstances was just pure, uninterrupted misery. And to be doing all of the same backbreaking labor, no sunshine, no ventilation, uh, no uh, uh, on top of all of the exhaustion of, of the rowing, an absolutely miserable environment. And Paul said, in Corinth, I'm an under rower. And in Paul's day, to take the position of an under rower was to take the lowest position of all. And then when we do, we are being like our Lord, of course, who took the lowest place in the position of a household and washing the disciples' feet, as is recorded in John chapter 13. And so as a servant, the Apostle Paul, giving us a glimpse into what made him tick and how he processed life in ministry, and as a servant, he felt he, that uh, he, was, uh, he didn't feel that he was too good or too important or above any circumstance that God chose to place him in. And it is that attitude that protects us from self-pity that we can be prone to in many, many ministry environments, especially ones in which we're not appreciated. And self-pity can be a great danger to God's call upon our lives. And Paul realized that his life was bought and paid for, and God could spend his life any way he chose to. And it protects us from this attitude that can sometimes surface, where we can look and say, I don't have to put up with this. I don't need the aggravation. I quit. Now, the servant is kind of a funny word. It's uh, common in the Bible. And we talk about it a lot, and it's important that we do that. But, of course, the, we know what the great test for finding out how well we're doing in, in uh, becoming a servant, and that is by how we react when people treat us like one. And uh, we bring a lot of expectations to ministry that are beyond what Paul brought to ministry. Number five in verse one, 
I notice that Paul considered himself to be a steward. And as a steward, he committed himself to be faithful, where God had placed him as a steward of the mysteries of God as he speaks there. A steward was very typically a slave appointed to manage or oversee the property of his master. And uh, Paul had been given uh, the truths of the new covenant as a stewardship from God. And the master had communicated that uh, it be taken into the entire world. And the most important uh, trait to be found in a steward, uh, both then and now, is faithfulness. A steward didn't need to be the most talented or the wisest or the most eloquent, but the one thing that was critical in a steward was faithfulness. And Paul stayed faithful in in that difficult place of ministry in Corinth out of faithfulness to God. God had called him there for eternal purposes, and he needed to stay there. And to Paul's credit, he did. And ultimately, all our motives all get boiled down to this. We enter into Christian service, and we think that our motives are pure. And then God starts to test them. And we find how much of us are in those motives. And the longer we go and the longer we serve the Lord and the longer those motives are tried ultimately, we come to a place where the circumstances or a situation or whatever it might be where we honestly say to God, God, I would not do this for anyone else, and I would not even do it for myself, but I will do it for you. And no one escapes being brought to that place ultimately. The elevation of realizing that I'm going to continue here and this is what God called me to do and I would be disobedient if I didn't do what he had called me to do. That's the motivation that we all get reduced to. And Paul realized that as difficult as Corinth was for him, God had called him to serve there and as miserable as the circumstances were and in many respects, He would continue to do that. And so quitting is uh, not an option that God left on the table for him or for us. I think most of us will be uh, tempted to quit sooner or later, and uh, some of us more than others. And uh, realizing that we are a steward of the mysteries of God, the gospel, will keep us from doing so. Number six in verse five, he stayed conscious of the Lord's return when he talks about until the Lord comes. And Paul was uh, doubtless the greatest missionary in the history of the church, uh, second to Jesus, a distant second. Jesus is in his own category. Uh, Next to Jesus himself, probably no more people in the history of the world have been uh, affected uh, by uh, one man than the the, uh, Apostle Paul. And it's interesting to notice in his letters the almost constant references to heaven and to eternity. And and what this tells us is that this eternal perspective was one of the keys to his effectiveness and longevity uh, in his ministry as a missionary and as a pastor. And the realization that there is a heaven on the other side of all of this. There's a heaven on the other side of all of this Christian service. And I, I for one, cannot be reminded of that too much. 
Gentlemen, there is a heaven on the other side of all of this. Years ago, I heard Warren Wearsby teach that for the Christian, heaven isn't just a destination, but it's a motivation. And he was exactly right about that, and it was true of Paul. The coming joy of heaven was a strong motivation for the Apostle Paul. I think about a famous quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, for if you read uh, history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most in the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. And that is, since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other, that they have become so ineffective in this. Now, it's always, it's always that way when it's lost. I remember uh, reading an illustration. I was a relatively new Christian about the fact that uh, heaven goes on for eternity. <laughs> it's hard to get your mind around eternity. But a gentleman by the name of Hendrik Van Loon gave it a shot in a way that I can understand. He said, High up in the north in the land of Svithjob, there stands a rock. It's 100 miles high and 10 miles wide. And once every thousand years, a little bird comes to this rock to sharpen its beak. And when that rock is worn away by that little bird, only a single day of eternity will have gone by. And as graphic as that is and as helpful that is, that is it massively understates just the duration of eternity in heaven, to say nothing of, of the glory of all of it. And then finally, number seven in verse five, Paul was confident that the end, at the end of this such a life was the greatest reward that a person could ever receive, and that was to have the praise of God. And of course, we know from the Gospels it is that, well done, thou good and faithful servant, from the lips of Jesus. You were faithful in a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And that, and that he would one day look into Jesus' eyes and hear him speak those very words to him it was a key part of his faithfulness in his ministry in that difficult environment of of Corinth. And yet, for the Apostle Paul to one day hear those words from the Lord meant that a long period of his life would need to be spent in one of the most difficult circumstances a person can ever find themselves in. And I think that perhaps in some ways every bit is hard uh, on the inside, on the heart, is a stoning or a scourging as to the outside, to the body. And that is a time when he was called to be faithful to the Lord in a ministry environment in which he was largely unappreciated. And so perhaps like Paul, the Lord has entrusted such an experience to you. Everything is completely one-sided. You do all of the giving. Others do all of the taking. Completely ungrateful. Remember the seven things that helped the Apostle Paul maintain perspective and remain faithful in such a setting himself. Number one, don't let the unjust criticism of others get you down. Don't give what they say undue weight. Consider it a very small thing compared to what God thinks about you. Number two, don't judge yourself. 
you know as little as they do. Number three, I think we struck a nerve there, gentlemen. Mm -hmm. Number three, entrust all judgment concerning your effectiveness to the Lord. All judgment concerning our effectiveness. Number four, remain a servant. You're an under rower. You're not too good for the ministry or the place that God has placed you. Be very careful of self-pity in this calling. Number five, stay faithful in that situation. Number six, there is a praise coming your way one day that will make you forget all about its long absence in this life. And number seven, remember that the praise giver may come tonight. Let's be found faithful. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Damian Kyle. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Damian's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.